Welcome to the Total Soccer Show, our somewhat quick take review of the USMNT's 3-0 win over Trinidad and Tobago in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinals. Joe, did I get all this correct? Is it the quarterfinals at the semis? What stage are we at at this point? I think you got all of it correct. It, it is the quarterfinals. I think you Thank got you. All, all the rest correct outside of the fact that this is going to be anything that resembles quick. I, I think it's <laughs> unlikely to, to be quick and more likely to be a number that starts with one and then there's a colon and there's two more digits and then there's another colon and there's two more digits. That would disagree. be my guess if I was a betting man. We we didn't do the traditional, we don't have to go along if we don't have stuff to say conversation <laughs> that we always do. So this one could be under an hour, but it does seem unlikely. Uh, Joe, it was a somewhat muted introduction to me. I'm recording this from, from home. Uh, I have a sleeping pregnant wife in one room and a sleeping three-year-old in the other. We're going to hope it stays that you way. You don't want to wake them both up? I can't uh, I can't believe that. That seems Although I did, I did genuinely loudly cheer for that opening goal because it was a, a relief moment. I was very frustrated with the way this game was playing out, not even in a negative way, just in a how many opportunities is it going to take or is it truly going to be one of those nights when things just don't go the right way uh but in the end a 3-0 win and joe i'm assuming we're just like that's it right totally good nothing else to talk about we're really happy this was fully comprehensive i don't mean that at all yeah no neither do i really i wish i could get behind that <laughs> what, I, what i will say is there's been a, a ton of vitriol about this game already like if anybody's popped on social media or maybe they have got a soccer group chat that's firing off or whatever it is like there, there's been a lot of people with a lot of bad things to say about this game and there are some bad things to be said about this game. The U.S. were not at their best. You could tell, and I'll talk more about this at length later, you could tell that they were missing some of their top players. No Christian yeah. Pulisic, no Timothy Weah, no Tyler Adams. That was obvious. And that's not a great thing for the U.S. And some of the sluggish performance in the first half, you know, maybe there's some tactical things that, that went wrong as well. All of those things are real. And we'll talk about those, and I'm not dismissing those whatsoever. That said, the U.S. dominated this game. Like, Obviously, they were going to do that against Trinidad and Tobago, especially at home. Trinidad was was never going to be, literally never going to be dangerous in the attack. And they were not. They had one shot on the night. It, it was nothing. Like, they did nothing going forward. That was always going to be the case. So there was a grain of salt there. But I, I will say, even in the first half, the U.S. didn't create a ton of chances. They had, ball in, they had the ball in dangerous spots for 45 minutes. Then you get into the second half, they have the ball in dangerous spots for another 45 minutes. They're a little bit cleaner. And they put up, like, 26 shots by the time the game was over. They have 75% possession, and they've got the ball in the back of the net three times. Like, the sky is not falling. And I, mm. I don't know that many of our listeners think it is, but I feel like that always defaults. Or that's what the uh, the public sentiment always defaults to when there's some sort of adversity or, or you know, temporary lull for this team. And it's not. Things are fine. Things aren't great, but they weren't great before this game, and they're not going to be great after the next game. Like, things, yeah. are, things are fine. Things are fine. I, I, I would agree with that. And I do understand where... Some of the frustration is coming from. I also understand where the anxiety sets in. Uh, I think you and Goss talked about this in your uh, BR pregame show, just about the uh, you know the old nerves around having to go away sure. to Trinidad. Kyle Martino alluded to that in the broadcast about not wanting to have to go to Trinidad and get a results and the fear of puddles and all that good stuff. So I do think there is a little bit of that 2017 baggage still being carried when you're when you're then facing a Trinidad team that 
could make something happen and were very difficult to break down in this game. I would say the number one difference between this and the failure to qualify in Cuba many years ago would be that Trinidad actually tried to attack in that game. And to your point, Joe, they were not trying to do that this evening. Even one nil down, you got the sense that they were pretty okay with a one nil loss, really not trying to commit any numbers. And so for the United States, I think it was about executing a game plan that allowed you to be proactive and aggressive. And I think they did that for the opening 15 minutes. And I think they did it for the closing 15 minutes. And in between, it felt like they took their foot off the gas. The game went off the boil a little bit. And and it really did just become one of those CONCACAF games where everything slows down and there's a lot of fouls and there's a lot of injuries and it takes 30 seconds for the goalkeeper to restart at any given moment. And with that in mind, Joe, my number one takeaway from this game is that I am not going to miss World Cup qualifying in 2026. <laughs> I did sort of wonder if when Trinidad get it to to nil-nil, they keep it at nil-nil in the 75th minute, that's when I clock the time-wasting really yeah. starting. And, and fair play. Like, if I'm a Trinidad-Tobago oh, yeah. fan, oh, for sure. I am cheering for every injury in the most aggressive air quotes that I've ever air quoted. Like, I'm cheering for every stoppage, every ball out of play. We're taking forever on all the restarts. That is the right thing to do if you're Trinidad and Tobago. I, I was kind of wondering if they were going to CONCACAF and time-waste their way to a nil-nil. It didn't ever end up happening, and it, it sort of seemed to me that the U.S. was always going to get on the board. I, I really, maybe this makes me sound like a robot, and maybe I am. I wasn't even all that worried before Pepe scored the goal. It still mm-hmm. just felt to me like there was no yeah. way, under that much pressure for 90-plus minutes, that Trinidad and Tobago was going to hold on, even with three of the U.S.'s top players out injured, and, and they didn't. So I, I was yeah. concerned about some of the stoppage time and, and uh, Conca Caffery in this game, but you know the U.S. ultimately got the job done. Yeah, I think as long as we're continuing with the opening thoughts, to continue that line of thinking, Joe, the not fully being nervous line of thinking, though I did, as I said, loudly, actively cheer for that opening goal, I think I, and maybe we, this show, gets accused of being too positive, too optimistic about the United States, too positive about Greg Berhalter. Um, And I try not to let that factor into my estimations and appraisals of this team, but I'm stating that up front to then say, I think there's a world in which this is a completely explainable result and not that big of a deal at all. Because to me, if you're talking about a a Trinidad team that is in somewhat of a state of crisis, uh, they are desperate to not get thumped in this game. And, And not even, I think, so that they have something to play for in the second game. I think against the United States, who are much stronger opposition, I think there is a, if we look organized and solid, that's a positive takeaway. And so a, an ultra-defensive Trinidad team against a team that, as you already set the stage, Joe, is missing three key players. That is not a massive excuse, but it is still a thing that has to be factored in. And so to me, that the f- opening half is the United States trying some stuff, moving the ball well, but then slowly losing some confidence. And I think some of the youngsters, uh, maybe not looking as sharp, not having that killer instinct, not quite executing the game plan as they wanted to. Berhalter talked about that at halftime. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, later on in the show. But then they come out. They may, they kind of stick with it. They made a few little adjustments. It's still not working. They make changes, substitution-wise. They get three goals. I think it's a pretty logical result in the end. There are certainly things to break down. And I wouldn't also, even say yeah. nitpick, but break, break apart and maybe evaluate individual performances and what could be better. And <coughs> what death. shapes Sorry. and tactics we'd like to see. What was that? <laughs> but I think overall... I think it's because we thumped them 6-0 previously, because there is still that feeling of Cuba in 2017 and the failure to qualify and the anxiety around it. I think people expected another 6-0, a very easy win, an early goal. Things kind of go as expected and all is right with the world. 
And when they're not quite to that script, it, it's 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 then a much more frustrating game. But I would argue that if this were two nil in the thirtieth minute and then it finished three nil, I think. I mean, that's I guess maybe that's unfair to say. But to me, I don't think there is nearly as much vitriol or frustration with this result overall. So for me, seeing it through that that lens, I understand that there are reasons for criticism. I wouldn't say there are reasons for concern. Yeah, I would agree. At least not more reasons for concern than there were before the game, right? For me, that's the key distinction. The U.S. Yeah, exactly. has problems, right? Like they have they have issues. Yep. They have things they need to work on. And I'll just go ahead and do what I think is probably my biggest takeaway from this game now. Coming into this game, coming off, off of the October window where the U.S. get Germany, they play Germany relatively close in the grand scheme of things. They're getting into good areas in the first half. They're relatively close in the first half. They get into good areas. Christian Pulisic can't put a shot on, on net after Balogun and Reyna sort of work to get him in the box, and he dives and doesn't get the penalty call because it wasn't a penalty. Like The U.S. did some good stuff in that first half against Germany. And you get to the second half, and I've said this a bunch of times since that game, but it really stands out for me. Germany are bringing on Kai Havertz, and the United States are bringing on Brendan Aronson. Right, yeah. players of that level. You come into this game, and instead of making those yeah, it's subs, unfair to Germany because they don't have the talent. I got that's you. very true. I mean, mm-hmm. Brendan Aronson is a world beater. We all know this. He showed that coming off the bench, and he was very good coming off the bench. But really, I want to apply that same idea to the starting lineup for this game, which I was excited mm-hmm. about seeing. I- I'm not going to cover that. I'm not going to try to hide that. I wanted to see Kevin Paredes. I wanted to see Malik Tillman. I wanted yeah. to see those guys in the lineup. It was probably the exact lineup outside of Chris Richards, but honestly, who cares about the center backs in this game because they had nothing to do? <laughs> it was the exact lineup that I wanted to see. And so I'm not going to blame Baralter for that. But what happens is when you have to go down the depth chart to get to Kevin Paredes, when you have to go down the depth chart to get to Malik Tillman, the cracks didn't show in the second half. The cracks showed in the first half, right? The cracks yeah. showed from the jump of, oh, instead of Christian Pulisic being isolated 1v1 on the left wing with a chance to break into the box against an inferior team, it's a young player who barely plays in the Bundesliga, an exciting one. I'm not trying to deny that. An exciting player, but a young, inexperienced professional player who is going at that player. And yes, yep. Kevin Pereira still underperformed what I thought he would in this game. I think he should have had a much better performance on the night. But you can apply the exact same thing to Malik Tillman, who is not Weston McKinney, who is not Gio Reyna, who is not Christian Pulisic, who is not Tim Weah. These players are at different levels right now. And for me, the biggest takeaway from this game is that the depth for the United States is still not where it needs to be for the team to really compete with the best in the world. And Trinidad and Tobago, not the best in the world, but the U.S. bossed this game in all, in all relative, practical, unbiased terms. They bossed this game, but I don't think they did it at the level, nor do I think they got the individual payout from players like Paredes and Tillman in particular to make you feel really good about yeah. how the depth is progressing ahead of a World Cup that is now two and a half years away. Uh, yeah, I entirely agree with that. And I think that's... Uh, I think that was one of your big takeaways. That's another big takeaway for me is that we can be excited about these young options. We can be excited about these depth options, but we can also recognize they are certainly not the finished product. And there is a big drop off when we don't have some of those options available, because I think rewatching that first half, I kept wondering because to me, the first 15 minutes or so were pretty strong from the United States. They weren't creating clear cut opportunities, but they were really ball dominant, really, adventurous i would say really quick to move the ball uh uh i think the sideline reporter talked about this at halftime that they had been instructed to take restarts really quickly to get the ball back and play really quickly to to press on possession loss uh and and it felt like they were doing that and then i think things slowed down some of that is the way Trinidad were playing and defending and some of the physicality of the game but i also think it's those those depth options those wide players 
sort of making bad decisions or or not executing with a a ball in that should have been hit or should have been hit better at the very least. And I and I feel like Gio Reyna was really tidy on the ball in the first fifteen. It seemed to me like he tried to get. I wouldn't say loose. I think he was just trying to create, trying to make something happen. And it feels like the youngsters are like, oh, we're doing that? Okay, let's force some balls in. And then a lot of that consistency in the ball movement broke down in that first half. We're jumping around a little bit, which I think is okay. But but I think that sort of is overall where I am in this game, is that they looked fine. But And I think, to your point, the issues that were already there are still there. And now maybe we have a few more questions about the depth options. But Joe, let's table that a little bit and let's get into the very basics of this game from the lineups and approach standpoint uh, I heard you and Goss talk in the post game about how this wasn't what you expected the U.S. to look like this wasn't the approach necessarily you expected from the United States or the way you expected this game to play out what were you expecting yeah mostly just that last bit like this wasn't really how I expected the game to play out after the U.S. have dropped five six goals Mm -hmm. in relatively easy fashion on this TNT team the last few times they played them, right? So I expected the U.S. to have more joy in the attack. I didn't necessarily expect the approach to be different. I thought it was a super logical approach from Greg Berhalter in this game. I saw it. I don't, I'm don't. i not really sure what game Kyle Martino was watching at, at times. I think he does a great <laughs> job I, at a lot of stuff. Go ahead. Yeah. Go okay, ahead. Here's what I think happened. Because uh, what Joe was alluding to, we texted about this. I, I think y'all mentioned it in the post game. The Cal Martino and the the main broadcaster, whose name I can't remember, I apologize, uh, kept talking about the U.S. playing in a four two two two, and that Greg Berhalter wanted to change the shape and had talked about that they had worked it in training, and so that's what the United States was doing. Except that is not what the United States was doing. I think it's what they did more so when Pepe came on. And what my assumption now is is that Berhalter talked about how that was a different look they could utilize. And that just got turned into, oh, that's definitely what they're doing is playing a 4-2-2-2 from the jump. And so I think maybe they did more of that at the end of the game, even there. I'm not sure that's the case. But I was very confused by that because that was a a consistent narrative of the 4-2-2-2 isn't working. It's not giving them the shape they need. It's not giving them the width they need. And I kept looking at the screen like, are you guys actually looking and seeing the numbers? Because the the thing that you're saying isn't really adding up. Yeah, there's a a whole mess of pet peeves in there that I'm just going to set to the side because it's going to make me angry. And it's not really relevant for the sake of this game. I'm kind of curious. I'm not going to lie. I don't know. Just I I, I get that soccer is informations are fluid. And so I'm hesitant to get hung up on some of the formation stuff. Just like watch the game. Like Kyle Martino didn't know the Trinidad and Tobago players names and he's doing the like not. I don't know. It just it just is kind of a bummer in, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. So I, that stuff was was sort of really bothering me. And so I, I turned down the commentary when I could in this game. All that stuff aside, the U.S. not really in a 4 triple 2 I'm not sure that it matters a whole lot either way, but I saw it, just for the record, I saw it as like more of a 2-3-5 shape for the U.S. And it was really fluid, yeah. so I can understand thinking that it's it's this shape in this moment and this shape in this moment. And at times, yeah, maybe it does look like a two-forward front. And it really was when Ricardo Pepe comes on the field in the second half. So there is some truth to all this stuff. But I saw it as a 2-3-5 with the two center backs as the two, duh. And then in the midfield, it was Eunice Musa and Weston McKenney. McKenney tended to be the bit more central player in the first half. And then it was either, this is where the fluidity comes in, either Jedi Robinson as that left-sided central midfielder, kind of moonlighting in that role, freelancing in the midfield when he wanted to, or Gio Reyna dropping deep. And when Gio would drop deep, then oftentimes Kevin Paredes would pinch inside and Jedi Robinson would go out to the wing. And then you've got your front five with Sergino Dest wide right, one of Jedi Robinson or Paredes wide left, either Gio Reyna or Paredes in the left half space, Balogun as the nine, and Malik Tillman as the the right half space guy. 
it wasn't anything like vastly different than what we've seen the U.S. go to for literal years now under Greg Berhalter. The only thing was it wasn't wholly working for this team, right? And so I think that's when it becomes easy to say, well, oh, it's the shape that's wrong or, you know, there's not enough this, there's not enough that. And maybe there's truth to all those different things. But I don't know that the U.S.'s relative struggles where they still put up seven shots and dominate the first half. Again, not as, they didn't play as well as I thought they were going to. So I'm not, I'm not trying to sugarcoat that. But I think that's where you sort of get some of the nitpicking that's maybe not as much based in reality when it comes to the lineup. But I thought the lineup and the approach, dominating the ball, being in the final third, trying to find the switch to the back post, all of those things made sense. It just wasn't quite coming together. All right, let's talk about why it wasn't quite coming together uh, in just a second. First, one quick break, then we shall return. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach? Well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. Welcome back to the Total Soccer Show. We are continuing to talk about the USA's 3-0 win over Trinidad and Tobago. Joe, let's stay in the first half because we've talked about approach. We've talked about lineups. Um, I have argued that it seemed like things were working okay to fine, to well even, in the first 15 minutes or so. And I feel like the United States was sort of probing, looking for vulnerabilities, looking for opportunities, trying to create overloads on occasion. And I was... Very excited. Uh, I texted you about this. It felt to me like a big part of the game plan was get the ball to Geo, and, yeah. and and this felt to me like a game when he was going to be given license to kind of run that offense effectively and and make the smart passes and be the connective tissue. And I felt like he did that a lot, especially in those first fifteen minutes. I also thought he was. Uh, much more threatening with his set pieces. I think a couple of them are caught by the goalkeeper, but it was noticeable to me that his first corner was noticeable, basically. Nothing comes of it, but it was sort of like, ooh, that's a delivery we've been missing. The sort of 
ball hit with with speed, but with bend, it gets high, then it drops low. It's exactly what you want from a good set piece. And I, I think we've been missing that. And in Pulisic's absence, he was taking those set pieces, and I was quite fine with that. Yep, 100% on the Reina set pieces. That's in my notes as well. He has like a bajillion corner kicks inside the first 10 minutes because that's all the U.S. were doing is they were yeah. driving down, they were trying to probe, they were around the box, they were in the box. They just couldn't quite get that last little bit. I thought Reina overall was good in this game. Now, he has some really nice through balls. Maybe not qu- still quite as incisive in and around the box as you'd like, but Trinidad and Tobago, to look at their setup, they start in a 5-4-1, then they get the red card around you know, 30, 35 minutes. And they go down to 10 men, and then they're in a 5-3-1 for the most part, or 5-4-0, right? So they're packing numbers deep, deep in their own half. And so it is difficult to look for space if, they, if you're the United States. So there was difficulty there, but I thought Reyna was, was decent. And in general, the start from the U.S., the tempo was good, I thought, like you're talking about, Taylor. And they were probing. They were finding some dangerous spots. I think it dips a little bit after that, and, and some of the cracks start to show. And, and maybe the tempo is eased off a little bit, and we see some of the weaknesses with individual players one of the biggest issues I thought for the U.S. throughout a, a decent chunk of this game, and one of the first things that I tend to look to whenever you're you're trying to break down a low block, is how quickly you're moving the ball, right? If you think about how you create space, and Baralter talked a little bit about this in that quick halftime interview with Melissa Ortiz, if you're trying to break down a block, one great way to do it is by trying to move the ball very, very quickly from side to side to force the defense to shift, to move the ball into still dangerous enough areas where they're forced to come and step to you, and then quickly reverse the ball back or then combine or find some way through the gaps that you inevitably create as the defense doesn't all shift as a perfect unit because it's 10 players. It's not just one you know chess player making all those moves. So that's a great strategy when you're trying to break down a low block. And the U.S. did some of that. I really like some of the early switches that Weston McKinney and Gio Reyna and Tim Way- and Tim Ream, excuse me, I did that in the, in the pregame too. Center back, Timothy Ream, the 36-year-old grandpa of the team was hitting. Like those switches to Des and, and to Tillman on the weak side of the box from left to right, I liked. I'm not sure we saw quite enough of that and quite enough purposeful ball movement from side to side. Felt like maybe there's one or two extra touches and the urgency that maybe we saw at the beginning of a Germany game or that we saw in the Nations League, you know, last Final Four in Las Vegas earlier this year. That to me wasn't quite there as often as you'd want it to be. Yeah. I, I think this will make sense, which is always a good way to start a point. To your point about the urgency. It felt like at times people were trying to like to to take on that urgency and basically play more aggressive, make things happen. Kyle Martino kept talking about someone's got to shoot at some point. Somebody's got to try to make something happen. And I don't disagree with that. It seemed to me like, especially uh, Paredes and Tillman, both had this mentality of like, you know what? I'm going to make something happen by trying to pass at the last minute. And both of them would have those moments and then they would still look to pass and still look to cut back. And not really play it to anybody. It, it felt like a lot of time they were just looking for balls into the box and seeing what would come off. And so that urgency was almost misdirected in my mind. Whereas in those first 15 minutes, it felt like the ball was moving more quickly. There were, were quick interchanges. There were like bounce passes to one player to pull a defender out. that would go back and then it would recycle. And, and I felt like they were moving the ball well. It just felt to me like as they started to get a little bit more panicked than urgent that's when you started having those like high risk low percentage passes and and through balls cut out and and it that's where attacks started to break down and and to me you're then giving trinidad the ball back you're giving them time to slow it down time to hoof it long or time to just hold it with their goalkeeper and that rhythm really started to get disrupted that's a thing we could hear greg berhalter yelling about a couple different times 
He yells at Jedi to be further forward. He yells at Kevin Paredes to be wider. There's also a strange moment. I texted you about this one when Reem comes over and there's a conversation with Jedi Reem and Burhalter where you clearly hear Reem say, he knows, he knows. And then Burhalter immediately turns and screams, Geo, and can't get him. I love that at <laughs> halftime, Burhalter had screamed his voice completely gone. Uh, yes. Jedi, I think, is the one to actually get his attention and call him over. And it seemed to be that they were gesturing for either no more diagonals after the red card or more diagonals. But it was a lot of like the the gesturing was indicating that they needed to hit those switches faster or play those balls more readily. And I'm assuming that's what the he knows was about. So maybe that was Burhalter just trying to drive it home. But it felt like there was a consistent effort from Burhalter and the coaching staff to relay instructions to keep the, the foot on the gas, even as it felt like it kept slipping off in that first half. I think it's that same moment that you're describing on the sidelines where, you know, Gio is finally, we assume, about to come over. And mm-hmm. and Goss and I texted about this a little bit. Goss's point was, like, this is the one thing everybody wants to see is Baralter and Gio Reyna and what they're talking about. Because we could hear Baralter on mic. Yeah. And maybe maybe that's why they cut away. I don't. I honestly don't know what happened. But they cut away. And I wanted they so desperately to see what was going to happen uh-huh. or to hear it or anything. And, and we just didn't get it. And so I was I was bummed about that. Oh, that I am a, was very annoyed about that. Because they <laughs> clearly cut away. So, like, and, it, and it, as I recall, it was cutting away to, like, something that wasn't, it was like a ball rolling out of bounds. Or like, like the sure. the Trinidad coach trying to get a ball, or like it was just they cut to nothing because they just did not want to show that one. I, I think to his credit, uh, Geo's credit, uh, somebody pointed this out in the in the post game comments that, uh, for the BR show, Joe, that uh, that this did feel like a game where in iterations past of the U.S. with with Reina there, we would have seen that frustrated body language. We would have seen more of that when the ball doesn't come when he thinks it should have, the hand in the air. We w- More frustration when crosses are cut out or he disagrees with the decision. I did not see nearly as much of that from Gio Reyna. I saw him really wanting the ball, really trying to get on the ball quickly. I also saw him doing what Berhalter asked of him. Uh, we don't know what was asked of him in that one little uh, session, uh, conversation. But I will say as was relayed to us that they were trying to move the ball quickly and restarts. And there are two different times, definitely one in the first half when uh, I think Raina draws a foul very much in striking distance. It's like 25 yards from goal. And I think in any other situation, it would have been set the wall up, pick your angle, try to have a go. And in this one, he basically stands over the ball, waits for the referee that gets his attention and then restarts it really quickly. And, and I just think little moments like that to me show that he was on it. He was on the game plan. He was doing what was asked of him. He was adjusting his game. I think it's why he ends up, I believe playing the entirety of this one. I don't remember him coming off. So I think it was strangely a like good performance from Gio Reyna, but not a great performance. But I think that's largely because of the overall team performance. But it was exciting to see him, I think, being comfortable in that more leadership veteran role with some of those absences we talked about. Agreed. Yeah, it's it's also wild to me how thinking about that Baralter Geo interaction, and then I, I have an actual soccer point to make. Thinking about that interaction, like how quickly all of that post-World Cup stuff has blown over. Yeah. Like I know we're we're basically a year away now from the World Cup. So it hasn't happened overnight, but you know, it felt like that was such a big story. And that was the big topic in pressers and being around the team a bit earlier this summer. That's like that that was the thing. And of course it was, right? Baralter was just rehired and there were big questions about that. But that has seemingly been a complete non-issue at this point for the team, which is good, right? Because Giorena is obviously a very good soccer player and you need him to be a part of this team to give them the best chance to win. So anyway, that that's sort of a non sequitur. But thinking back to some of the issues for the U.S. in the first half, I think 
Some of the ball movement was was not quite, and again, this is really small percentage stuff, but not quite as as quick as you want it to be. I also thought the last action, both the, the pass and, actually, we'll just leave it there. I thought the last pass for the U.S. was was not quite there either. And the there's going to be a lot of those against low blocks where you play the ball and it's just an inch over hit or an inch under hit or an inch too far to the left or to the right, whatever, right? When you play against a low block, there is very little space. That is the whole point of defending that way. It's really hard to break through. We, that's why we say it's the hardest thing to do in soccer is to break down a low block. And that is 1,000% true. Manchester City struggles with it from time to time. That being said, the U.S. had some opportunities that they couldn't quite convert. And, and you would like to see them in a perfect world do better in those situations. Malik Tillman has some of those moments. Uh, Paredes has some of those moments. There, there's a lot of those early cutbacks that sort of happen that don't quite come off. Uh, let's see. Tillman has one in the 43rd minute where he has a cutback cut intercepted. It's, it's just not quite there on the delivery. Paredes has a couple of these moments as well. Weston McKinney has one in, I think, the second half where he's driving forward and tries to play a ball through, and it's just a little bit overhit. Yeah. There are so many of those sequences in this game, and probably just a few too many for the United States in terms of, of boosting their goals tally. And then one more thing that I think went wrong for the U.S. a little bit here is the 1v1s. Try to think of a moment, listener. I, I ask you, I implore you, when the U.S. have a really dangerous 1v1 dribble that breaks them into the box, they beat a defender, they do something dangerous, they cut the ball back, and it's all really nice and neat. I, I do not think that happened in this game. Serginho Dest was wide on the right. Kevin Paredes was wide on the left. Jedi Robinson was maybe a bit more incisive because he is that kind of player. But those two in particular really struggled in their 1v1s. Throughout this entire game, Paredes would get in them and he wouldn't complete them. So there's a moment in the 10th minute that I've got down where he can't beat a guy after Reyna plays him through. It's a great through ball from Gio Reyna. It is lovely. One of the best moments of this game. But Paredes cannot beat his man. And there's a few others of those as well. There's a, a great... Uh, ball win from Paredes in the 40th minute where he tracks back to win possession. Great energizer bunny moment. I love Paredes' defensive work rate. But then he tries to drive forward and he's just like a chicken with his head cut off and, and loses the ball. There's those from him and then Dest on the right side was just so passive. And I talked about this in the BR post game. I, I could not believe how passive Sergino Dest was. That's kind of always been a, a, a sneaky part of his game where he doesn't love to be the attacking enforcer. He kind of wants to be the accent guy doing all the fun stuff around mm -hmm. the play. But in this game, he had 1v1s on that right side, and he was so stagnant and so slow. And he was the width guy. Like, that was his job, was to be the dangerous right-sided attacker. And he just wasn't. It was one of the worst attacking performances I've seen from Dest in his willingness to take players on or lack thereof. Just so inefficient on that right side. So you add the ball movement, some of the struggles there. You add some of the overhit or underhit passes. And then you add the, the dribbling woes where there's nobody to go and take players on and beat them or nobody who did it on the night. And I think even with all those things, the U.S. obviously still better by a lot. But yeah. when you factor those things together, you sort of start to see why maybe the first half wasn't as dominant as, as I really thought it was going to be. If I were in the press conference, I think the question I would have asked that connects to a lot of what you've just said there, Joe, is how much emphasis was there on not leaving yourself vulnerable or exposed to a counter? Because that's the only reason why I can think of Dest never I can recall maybe there's one take on. Yeah, but for the there, most there part, are to your couple, point, for sure. There are a it, couple. It just it felt like only when he had cover, when he knew there was a player who was a little bit deeper, even if they were a little bit more inside, it felt like then maybe he would go for it. But so many of the take a touch, let the defender close you down a little bit and then cross into the box or take a touch, faint, cut back, look for a pass, didn't feel like it was 
like running that many risks, it felt like they were trying to be a little bit conservative in their approach to make sure they weren't vulnerable. And I think that's another big difference for me between the first half, maybe the opening 15 or 20 minutes of the second, and the final few minutes is just the intensity. And I think at the end, it's desperation. You're you're putting numbers in the box. You're trying stuff. You're taking shots. You're doing everything you can. And I think that can lead to moments and goals, as it did, against especially tired opposition playing a man down. But I also think when you're playing against a bunkered opponent like this, that intensity has to be there. There have to be those dedicated runs because then when you have some of those misplaced passes, when you don't get that final ball or when there's a miscontrol in the box, you have numbers sort of alive to it and swarming, and that's where I think chaos is created. That's where you get rushed clearances that don't go anywhere or you get penalties that are for some reason overturned. Um, you you get opportunities there, and it, and it just felt to me like in that first half, the U.S. was just a little bit concerned about that counter, maybe a little bit overly concerned, and so they weren't fully committing to getting numbers into the box to creating chaos. And I think when they did, when they make some changes, and then when they start putting bodies in there and start putting crosses in and start taking shots – you see the results. So I, I would have liked to see maybe more of that intensity. We'll talk about what we want to see in the in the return leg, the away leg. Uh, and that's one thing. I want to see the U.S. really going for it from the jump and not sitting back and inviting Trinidad out. But that's a conversation for later on in the show. Uh, Joe, right now, should we talk about the changes? Should we talk about adjustments at halftime? Where would you like to go? Yeah, let, let's talk about adjustments at halftime. And I'm curious about your thoughts on that, Taylor, because... I think there were some little tiny things that changed. And yep. I think a lot of the, maybe even more the intangible stuff outside of like a couple of super minor positional tweaks or maybe McKinney's yeah. a bit wider. Like I, I didn't see a whole lot. Did you see a lot? No, I think again, like uh, I, I'm mindful. I don't want to call people out, but like what I heard was them realize that they had not been in a four, two, 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 two. So the commentators then had to be like, oh, a change to a four, two, three, one, all of a sudden a change to a four, three, three. And it's just like, no, nah, that's kind of what they were doing. Like I get Reyna had a ton of positional freedom. I felt like it was less a four, three, three and more a four, two, three, one, especially in the second half. But again, it's it, it sort of shorthand for the same thing. Uh, so no, I didn't see a ton of adjustment. I felt like the, the goal was to get more possession in and around the box, but keep the ball moving and continue to play some of those principles that I think they had set out to play and hadn't really succeeded in doing. And I don't really think they did much of it uh, until they start making changes in this game. There is better pressure. There is, I guess, more opportunities, but still not a ton of clear-cut ones. I think if that penalty had stood, we're talking about a different game again. And I do feel like it should have, as I already alluded to. But alas, it was not meant to be for Weston McKinney earning a penalty that I'm assuming would have been taken by Gio Reyna or Falorn Balogun. Joe, would you have been happy if it was Balogun taking a penalty and scoring? I'm guessing so. I think, uh, yes, I would have been happy. And I think he probably would have been the guy to do it. Taylor, you, what you missed in the whole penalty discourse is that you're now allowed to two-foot someone from behind. Um so that actually is, is where you if, were a little bit off get, on that context. If you get a um, fraction of the ball. Yeah. Right. that And like, I know there are there are like slippery slope, shades of gray, whatever arguments to this. But and I get like if you are chasing somebody from behind and you slide in and you win the ball, there's always a good chance that you're then going to get the player as well. And and so to some extent, when you win a challenge, you slide in. If you get the ball first, if you if you then get the player, generally speaking, that is not going to be given as a foul. 
But there is a line between that and when you clear a person out and make marginal contact with the ball, when you take that person out, if the contact is marginal enough that the play is still alive, which it was, then to me, you have denied the player any ability to make a play on that ball from that moment on because you have literally tackled them. And and I don't understand how that alone wasn't a penalty. I don't think that the slight touch, I guess the defender gets there first, but I still like I, I'm fond of I have a fond memory of a referee turning to a guy who had I, like come from behind and tackled me. Uh, and the guy said, like, I got balled. He's like, yeah, you got ball by going through him. You can't just do that. And it's like, and it's like, right, exactly. So I, I don't understand how that wasn't one. I also think the Balogun one late in the second half should have been one too. He, he gets pulled back. And then also there is contact off the ball that clips him. So I'm assuming that was just basically it's three nil at this point. They decide they don't need to make it four nil, but thought there was some questionable VAR officiating on the evening. Yeah, yeah, there was. And, and that that certainly played into some of the U.S.'s struggles. Overall, even though I, I agree with some of the questionable calls and, and your takes on them, I don't know how much that actually matters for the U.S. in the grand scheme yeah. of things. They can't rely on, you know, Phillips coming in from behind on Weston McKinney to rescue them, right? So I think you do still be want weird to if see, they did. Yeah, it, it would be. And, and ultimately, this is a hot take. Probably not the best strategy overall. First, you need a guy named Phillips. And that's right. like, you know, not yeah. every team has one of those. And next, you need one who's rash. So, I mean, there's there's a lot of challenges there. I think ultimately, going back to to reading out um, Greg Berhalter's comments at halftime, and I think these directly play into some of the changes and some of the, just the on-field improvement and wear, wear and tear that Trinidad and Tobago suffered in the second half. I think these comments play into them. So Berhalter said to Melissa Ortiz at halftime, the chances weren't really there. There was some times when they opened up, and I think we're picking them apart. This is what Berhalter says. This is the most important part, though, I think. The precision when they were tight wasn't there. And you see we're just a little bit off. we got to get that first goal, and I think more will come. And ultimately, he was right. Like, when the first goal came, more did come because Trinidad and Tobago could not withstand that amount of attacking pressure for 90-plus minutes. But I think we saw in the second half a little more urgency. We saw in the second half players recognizing, hey, let's go and, and cycle the ball from side to side. The bummer for them in this game to bang on about Sergio Dest again is because when they would cycle the ball from left to right, which was a which was a usual pattern because Reina was on the left side. So a lot of the attacking action happened over there and then it would be reversed to the weak side, which was where Dest and Tillman was. It just so happened that those two players both had really bad games. Or or then maybe that's a bit unfair to Tillman, who I thought did some good stuff. But I think Dest was was very, very poor in this match. So you circle the ball over there with speed and it's still arriving at a problem player, right? So I think that was a, a big issue. My theme about my theory about Des that I mentioned on the BR show is that he just misses Tim Weah. And when those two players, not just like, oh, I miss my friend. Maybe that's part of it. But when those two players are together on that right side, Weah is the direct, like incisive one. And Des can be the accent player when it's Tillman, who's much more of a combiner than a runner. Although he does like to arrive in the box, but he's not a wide runner. You know, I think that changes the calculus for Des in a real way that he could not figure out how to overcome in this game. So I think Berhalter had the right analysis going into halftime. I think the team did respond in certain ways. It just happened that it took one time and two substitutions to actually get the job done. I have a follow-up question for you about Dest, but I'm going to tease that one. We're going to take one more break, then we'll come back uh, for me to ask that, for us to talk about some goals and some more individual performances back very soon. Hey folks, this is Taylor from the Total Soccer Show reminding you that we are inching ever closer to the start of the summer transfer window, which means there are teams that will buy and sell their players early, there are teams that will leave that business very late, and there are teams that will operate in between. But no matter what, 
it's going to be a chaotic situation. There's going to be offers coming through willy-nilly. There's going to be transactions to be tracked and processed and make sure that enough money is there. There's going to be probably angry clubs calling to complain. There are many things to deal with. And unfortunately for those clubs, there is no sort of business tool that makes things easier, makes transactions simpler, gets the business done efficiently and effectively. But for the small businesses around the globe, there is such a service, Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, from the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek kits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. And you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And I really appreciate that about Shopify. No matter how big you are, no matter how fast you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the United States, and Shopify's the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, Brooklyn, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. That's as many countries as will be selling players in the transfer window this summer. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash TSS, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash TSS now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash TSS. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Welcome back. Joe Lowry, uh, I teased it. Uh, You said you thought Dest was very poor. What letter grade would you give him? First off, I'm just curious uh, how different our understanding of what is very poor when it comes to letter grades is. Um, le- <laughs> yeah, actually, that's an interesting question. Um, Death's name starts with a D. D feels about right. Um, yeah. I would give him a D in this game. I think I would. I would have gone C. So, yeah, I, I I think I'm less frustrated by some of the attacking aspects of this game than you. Maybe because I'm inclined to give him the benefit of the doubt of the defensive side. And I do think in the second half, they basically clear out that whole side for him to just do as he pleases. Uh, but maybe that's where we would have liked to see a little bit more. So I think a a somewhat reserved uh, grade is appropriate. Should we talk individuals or should we talk about any of the goals themselves? Maybe maybe let's do the goals because they okay. were fun. And it was sort of a, a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief, whatever metaphor you want to use. I think they were really big moments for the United States. The first goal, 81st, 82nd minute, excuse me, from Ricardo Pepe, who's made a habit, a real habit of scoring goals off the bench. I think I saw a tweet right before we started that Pepe has scored more goals coming off the bench than any player in a calendar year for the USMNT ever. And he has done a really good job of coming off the bench and scoring for the United States. This one comes in a, f- a fairly big moment. It's a Jedi Robinson cross to Pepe, low and hard at the near post. Pepe finishes with one touch, and it's, it's a one great nil. finish. It is, it is a great finish. That kind of breaks the floodgates open. 
I thought, and we've talked about some players that, that didn't have great games, Pepe was awesome. I thought Pepe and Brendan Aronson were both excellent coming off the bench in this game. And they should be, right? Like, this is this is what I wanted to see from the U.S. overall, is them coming out and, and taking Trinidad and Tobago to task. Like, these are USL Championship, USL League One, like, Trin- local Trinidad and Tobago players. Not local is probably the wrong word, but domestic players. Like, the, you're better than these players. And I, I wanted the U.S. to show that a bit more. And I felt like Pepe and Aronson, maybe because of the work that the rest of the team had done to, to tire them out before they got on the field, I thought those guys were, were two of the only players that really did that. Pepe was fun, and I, it's getting harder and harder, I would imagine, for Greg Berhalter to look him in the eye and say, hey, we're bringing you off the bench again, when Pepe really, really obviously wants to be starting. I hear you. I'm not sure I buy that. And I love Ricardo Pepe. I think I'm the one who drafted him when we did our U.S. draft, but... I think Balogun had a, had a bad night. I did not think this was the best we've seen him look. I thought this was maybe the worst we've seen him look. Uh, I think the field played a part in this. I don't know. It wasn't talked about much, but people seem to keep losing their footing, not like falling, but just sort of like almost like they were on ice at times. And there's a few moments when he has a bad first touch that's either Anthony behind Pre-Court's him. Fault. It's yeah, I, I'd agree fault. with that. That's fair. Yeah. Let's just blame pre-court at, at, at all times for everything. Great. I'm good with that. So it's, Always play against Phillips who are angry and always blame Anthony Precourt. Got it. I'm glad <laughs> These we're, are the we're two figuring some things out. that we've established on today's show. Well done. Uh, but I still think that Balogun like, has done enough to continue to start in that role. And I think Pepe has proved himself to be a really capable super sub who can come in and make a difference playing alongside Balogun, can make a difference replacing Balogun, and can just be a menace in the box. We'll fight for everything. There's a hunger there. I, I like. I just don't. I don't think it has to be like, okay, like now we got to swap them. Now, like now that this guy's scored, it's got to be a position battle. I think position battles are good, but I think sometimes we are too quick to, to rotate and switch and call for change rather than back them both and say they're both playing really well. And it's exciting that we have two very talented, very capable goal scorers. The Pepe goal made me especially happy, not just because it's the opener, but because of the way he scores it. It's a very... I know exactly what I'm doing, even if it looks completely improbable. And it's like with the defender on his back from a tight angle, it's just a little flick. The keeper ends up getting a hand to it, but turns it into the net. But it's it's an awareness of knowing exactly how to hit it, exactly where he is and exactly how he needs to make it happen. And he does all of those things. And then I thought that hunger was there. He's calling for the ball. He's demanding it. He's frustrated when he doesn't get it. Not in a you know, I'm throwing my hands up and and ruining the vibes sort of way, but just in a, I want the ball. I've come in to make an impact and I want to be able to make that impact. So I I thought he looked very sharp. I liked his goal quite a bit. I'm really happy Jedi got a goal. It takes a deflection all the same. I like how much he seemed to be looking to clean up loose balls around the top of the box and shoot whenever possible. He has one of those in the first half. He has another one in the second half, and the second one obviously goes in. And then I was really happy for Gio Reyna to get a goal. And I think that was also a pretty good moment from him because it's a a ball into him that he dummies for Balogun. Then he spins off of that, Balogun plays him in, uh, and Reyna is able to hit it with his left and score. Even there from Balogun, uh, he, he... kind of over and under hits the ball simultaneously. So it's behind <laughs> Reina, but out wide enough that he can adjust his run to get to it. But there wasn't just that, that sharpness there. It just wasn't Balogun's night, I think in the end, but I'm, I'm happy for Reina that he comes away with a, with a good performance and a good goal as well. A hundred percent agreed on, on Gio Reyna and, and mostly agree on Balogun. I, I guess I, I would agree that it wasn't his night. The thing I'll add though, is I think there's a lot of blame that goes on his teammates for that, which I think, pretty much applies anytime you're number nine 
and you're not like a Bobby Firmino, Alan Polito, Ferreira type of number nine where you're influencing the game in other ways. Balogun can do that and he can drop and I would have liked to see him be a bit cleaner in some of those moments where he's dropping in with the center back on his back. But we didn't we didn't get a lot of those and he didn't get a lot of service. So I, I still think Berhalter talked about it after the Germany game. It was a problem in September. It's still an issue for this team. To, the word Berhalter uses is activate, to activate Florin Balogun, to find him, to, to sort of like flip his switch and, and feed him the ball. Like that's still a real genuine issue for this team. It's hard to do against a low block. You know, there's eight, nine, ten players inside the defensive third, inside your own box at times. So I'm sympathetic to all that stuff, but I think there is blame to go around, yeah. even outside of Florin Balogun in, in, in that way. Again, I was also happy for Jetta Robinson to get that goal. I love that we see the backflips. Christian uh, Polanco brings it up in the uh, in the VR chat as well. And it's a it's a great acrobatic display from Jedi Robinson. It's what we've come <laughs> to expect. There were some fun moments along the way, yeah. right? A lot of doom and gloom coming out of this game, which I think we both agree is a bit overstated. But some some good stuff from the U.S. as well. Agreed. Uh, and I think it's a very good point you make about Balogun. It is not just Joe defending him because he hearts Balogun, even though he does. I think you're correct that when we're talking about how do, how best do you activate him, how do you get him more involved. I think a way to do that is to have consistency in the approach and consistency in the pass. And and I fully see a situation in which if you are that number nine who's trying to crash the box, let's say, and you're trying to kind of hold so that you arrive at the top of the six for the cutback, and you do that the first couple times and the ball is hit behind you or it's cut out by the first defender, so then you make that sort of near post darting run because you expect, okay, they've hit it to the near post two or three times in a row. Maybe that's where it's going to go. So you make that run and then it's once again, cut out by a defender. And then the next one is chipped over you. And then the one after that is hit to the back post. And now you think, okay, so I guess they're playing it to the back post and you adjust your run there. And then when it does finally come to you, it's through traffic with a defender on your back and it's the first chance you've gotten and you don't hit the shot cleanly. And it looks like, oh, you know, he's just, he's not on it tonight. He's not, he's not making the right runs. He's not where he needs to be. And I I think you need those reps to get that sharpness sometimes. Occasionally, you just hit the ground running. You hit that first shot. It's in. Money in the bank. You're good to go. But I think sometimes there is a like, okay, I, may, I was in the right place. I got a shot off. It was a good shot. It was a good save. But I know that I'm, I'm doing the right things. I'm making the right runs. And when you don't build up those little improvements, that little performance over time, I think it ends up just feeling a little bit stalled. And I, and I do think, to your point, some of that is on Balogun as an individual and some of his decision-making and some of his technical lack of precision on occasion, but I think it is also the way in which he was receiving the ball, where he was receiving it, how he was receiving it. So point well taken, Joe. I appreciate that. What I don't appreciate is your center back slander. And I'm going to talk about that for a moment because you said the center backs had nothing to do. I thought this was the best I've seen from CCV. Now, admittedly, there was not a ton for him to do, but the, what I do remember is him winning every single physical challenge every single aerial he wins or draws a foul and not only that but seemed to do the thing of winning the like winning the ball and also annoying his opponent at the same time because in the final 15 or 20 minutes when they would go long to dead he would win it and every single time the player would just look like come, come on man you gotta call something but he was he was doing it clean and on top of that there's a few times when trinidad half clear and CCV is first there with uh, a player on his back. And I felt like he was very quick to snuff out anything, very content to handle the physicality of that game. So I thought it was it was good from him. I thought Tim Ream was was fine. I think he has one or two misplaced passes that maybe he didn't need to misplace. But I, I think that was that one is more unremarkable to me because I think he wasn't tasked with being the kind of quick 
physical defender. I think he was the cerebral defender, but I liked what I saw from CCV in this one. I agree. I think the only question is just how much yeah, does that matter? Of course. Right? So yeah. I think CCV, I have down in my notes, like he's built for these games. Like he's yeah. played a thousand yeah. of these games for Celtic yeah. or however many games they played last season is pretty much how many of these games. I think they played, played a thousand against Rangers alone, but yeah. yes, I th- I also think there was a, there was a Scottish premiership player on the field. So we got to get grandma to, to do the deep dive about Trinidad and Tobago and their Scottish ties. Anyway, like this, this game was purpose built for CCV getting to sit in, play a couple of passes and just bully people when they try to attack. Um, I, I just don't think we really learned anything about him in the same way that we learned about the attackers. The same goes for Matt Turner. The same mostly goes for Tim Ream. We already talked about both fullbacks in, in a lot of ways. I don't have a ton of Yunus Musa notes. Six minute either. drives forward in midfield, a little out of control, and, and the U.S. lose the ball. That's a, a knock against him. He had some really nice progressive line-breaking passes, 14th minute, 25th minute. Just also a lot of time and space to make those passes. So I'm not sure we learned a whole lot about Musa as a sort of a, a, a deep holding kind of midfielder in this game. And McKenney, I, I thought was a little more muted than I, I hoped he would be. Yeah, I don't know if that's because there's no Tyler Adams and he's not quite unleashed in the same way. But I don't have a, a huge amount of Weston McKenney notes either, even though he was certainly more involved higher up the field than Eunice Musa. Here's my half-baked thought on Weston McKinney. I feel like we had similar either frustrations with him or similar thoughts on like, eh, he was kind of anonymous in this game when he was playing CONCACAF opposition either in the Nations League or more regularly in World Cup qualifying. Do I remember this being the case? And I feel like when he is playing an, op- an opponent that gives him a ton of time to like – not even just to like think or overthink, but to be like, oh, I've got a bunch of different options. I just feel like he gets lost in those moments sometimes. And the way that seems to routinely manifest is that his first touch is really poor. And that was an odd thing to me that at least four times in my notes in the first half, his first touch pops up on him and it doesn't need to. And I think it's because it's not even that he's hearing footsteps. I think it's just that he's aware that he can turn and carry the ball forward because he's got time and space and we've got to facilitate to attack quickly or transition to attack quickly. And so when he tries to do that, one time I think he kicks it into his own foot. One time it pops up on him. Another time the ball itself pops up when he turns. But there were those moments, there were some giveaways. And then there's the one where after the penalty is overturned, he is clearly very frustrated because I think it was a penalty. I get why he would be mad, but I, I had in my notes like, oh boy, here we go. Cause then he, he sprints 40 yards to track a couple passes and works really, really, really hard. And the U S end up winning the ball back. And I thought, oh, okay, McKinney's now he's frustrated. There's blood in the water. He's going to make something happen. He gets on the ball. He turns and he tries to hit a 40 yard pass to no one. And it goes straight to a Trinidadian player who then almost launches the counterattack. And those, sort of just sloppy moments are, I think, fine, generally speaking, but against a bunkered opponent who want you to be kind of rash in your decision-making and give the ball back to them, that's a negative for me. And then when it's Weston McKinney, a player that we need to be a veteran, that we need to kind of keep the the passing tempo high, the work rate high, I think people look to him. And when you have maybe Reyna forcing a pass and then McKinney forces a pass and then uh, Reyna maybe holds the ball a little bit too long. Like I always say, like I've played in games like that, obviously at amateur level is the part that I always say. But I think there is a weird sort of quicksand vibe of like, oh, he's forcing a pass. Oh, he's forcing a pass. All right, well, I'll force a pass then. Oh, he's going for a shot from here. Okay, I'll try it. Like, I think it can bleed in. And that's where you need the veterans to kind of keep that golfing quality, to keep that intensity up. And once they start slipping, 
it's just harder, I think, as a team to pull back out of it. I think Weston McKinney overall in this game, again, I thought he was fine. Yeah. I just don't think he was, for maybe for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, uh, super influential. And and he also, it just kind of wasn't his job to do a lot of that stuff in this game, at least not inside the box. Like he was, along with Yunus Musa and either Jetta Robinson or Gio Reyna in the first half, like sort of a part of that midfield band where they're doing more rotation rather than incision. So it's not a it's not a get out of jail free card for Weston McKinney or for the rest of this team that I think you know left something on the table certainly in the first half. But I think there are some understandable reasons and and also like these trends aren't aren't all new when it comes to Weston McKinney. And you mentioned some of that stuff as well. He's not a, a consistent game changer for the U.S. He is a game changer. It just kind of depends on the game. Yeah, uh, I would I would agree with that. I think we're on the same page there. Well, are you giving him a letter grade? Uh, I'll give him a B. Sure. Why that not? feels right. <laughs> I'll go B minus just to be different. Uh, Joe, you talked about Brendan Aronson. It was nice to hear you say positive things. Uh, I have more notes about him sort of scuffing a chance, heading sure. a chance wide, arriving late for something. Uh, but I'm assuming this is a case in which like maybe he could do better with some of his opportunities, but your larger point would be he's getting into the spaces. He's getting into the moments where you need a person to be attacking. And so I'm guessing that's why you're giving him more credit for his performance as a substitute. Yeah. The hardest, the hardest part about attacking and, and the hardest part about scoring goals is getting in the spot in the first place at the professional level. Not for me, like I'm, I'm bad at soccer. And so putting the ball, putting my foot through the ball and scoring yeah. is really hard, but these guys are all really good at that stuff. Like some players probably slightly better at it than other players, but Brendan Aronson knows how to strike the ball. So he he's able to put the ball in the back of the net. He's able to head the ball home I value them than him going actually going out and actually finding the space to begin with. And he did that twice. 68th minute gets in a good spot, shoots the ball wide. 79th minute, even better spot, heads the ball. So and, and uh, heads it wide as well. So he didn't put the ball in the back of the net, but he got into good spots, which is a nice green check mark in my book. And he also just did all the Brendan Aronson stuff. Like I don't really expect Aronson. I asked Peralta about this last week. I guess that would have been. I don't expect Aronson to be dangerous in the attack. Although I suppose against Trinidad and Tobago, I, I do kind of expect that. But by and large, that's not, that's never been his game. The Union, Salzburg, Leeds, Union Berlin, doesn't matter. Like, that's not his thing. He did some of that in this game, which is great um, and, and probably should be expected against a team of this level. But he also then just did all the Brendan Aronson, I'm going to run really hard and make your life suck stuff that he always does. And he chases balls down at the end line and he chases them down in the left corner and he's chasing stuff down and he's pressing. And Paredes did a really good job of that stuff too. Aronson's just in the top like 0.01% of those players on the planet. And I'm not entirely sure where Paredes is on that spectrum. But Aronson was was the kind of light and energy along with Pepe that the U.S. needed, I think, to, to just get this thing done and to put them in a decent spot heading into the second leg. Um, one other player that we should mention was Matt Turner, who I think like around the 70th minute, it was noted had had five touches or something like that. Maybe it was a little bit earlier than that. But... I don't think there's a ton to say about Turner other than that he was just solid, which is what you want. You don't want your keeper in the one moment they need to do something to make a mistake. So he was good in that way. The other thing I thought 
was notable. Again, Berhalter clearly wanting the ball back in play as quick as possible. And Turner seemed to be leading by example that every time he catches that ball, he is sprinting to the top of the box and trying to throw it out to launch a counter. Uh, and, and so I think at the very least, I would give him positive marks for being focused on that game plan the entire time, very quick to get the ball back into play when it goes out for a goal kick or anything like that. So not really much to report from Matt Turner, but I did enjoy that he was at the very least using his time on the ball to try to make things happen. Taylor, you could have started in goal for the U.S. tonight, and the yeah. result would have been exactly the same, uh, which is to say, of course, Nottingham Forest, you cowards, give him a starting spot back. <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about starters for the next game then, Joe. So away in Trinidad, we only saw the two substitutions in this one. Uh, what would you like to see in that game? Okay, so the one the one specific move that I highlighted in the in the BR postgame show with Goss was getting Brendan Aronson into the lineup. And I don't much care if that's for Tillman or for Paredes. I, I, I don't, I can't decide. Like, I don't have a strong feeling about it one way or the other. I think Aronson's energy, Brendan Aronson's energy, because Paxton's in this camp too, so I got to specify. I think Brendan Aronson's energy will be useful. And I think he showed more incision on the ball than any of the U.S.'s other attackers, not named Gio Reyna or Ricardo Pepe. So I'd get him on the field to start. Trinidad away just feels like the Brendan Aronson moment, if there ever was one. The other change, because I don't think I would do a ton to this team. Yeah, actually, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I, let me, let me, I was realizing that. I think that there is a lot of stuff that Berhalter could do in that game that I'd be like, yeah, okay. Like, because I was about to say, like, I don't want to see... Uh, like both fullbacks swapped, but at three nil, I could see being like, no, I want to see what they do on the road and what they can create. I don't know if I would love that, but I don't think there's much that would make me be like, I don't like that. So my revised question for you, Joe, is what don't you want to see in that game against Trinidad, either from a lineup approach or from a tactical approach? I don't want to see too many changes. Like I think the tactical approach works. Let me rephrase. I think there's a lot of validity in the general tactical approach that the U.S. had. Dominating the ball, you smother Trinidad and Tobago's yeah. opportunities to get forward. They were never dangerous. It works as a defensive tactic when you're up three goals, if nothing else. So I don't envision a lot of massive tactical changes. Goss mentioned, and I think it's a good point in the postgame show, trying to get someone closer to Balogun just to get him more involved. And if he is starting, I think that's that's going to be important to figure out how you continue to get him touches. So there are some tweaks and moving the ball quick as much as you can. I don't know what the field is going to look like in Port of Spain. But doing some of those things, I think, will be important. But I don't think you want to change huge chunks of this lineup. Like, I don't feel that you need to change the fullbacks. Even though I thought Dest was poor, I still think he's the best option at right back for the U.S. in this camp. Jedda Robinson, same on the left. I don't think you get Musa or McKenney out of the lineup. I definitely don't think you take Giorena out of the lineup. I would still lean towards Balogun in that spot. So really, my only question marks are who starts at center back? and who starts in sort of the half spaces or in Paredes' case a little bit wider on that left side. And I already said I'd go for Aronson in one of those spots, and I, I don't have a huge preference in the other. The other thing, and the reason why I leave center back last, I guess, on this list, is I didn't think about this immediately after the game when David and I were talking about it, but I don't think this next game is going to be a Tim Ream game. It's kind of been a pattern from Greg Berhalter to bring him in, start him in the first game of a window, and, and just kind of rest him for the second game. He's old in the grand scheme of things, in in soccer terms. And like I think Tim Ream is sort of always good for half a mistake in him a game, and he didn't really have that in a big way in this game, which means he's probably due for a whole mistake in the next game. And just with a bumpier field, we can probably assume, and just other factors at play, I would go for 
and literally any other center back in the squad, CCV Richards, like who I don't, I don't really care. I think changing out Reem just to give him a rest and, and to sort of play to his strengths and, and not put him in bad spots. I think that would make sense too. All right, I'm good with that. Can I? Here's my prediction, risky okay. statement, Joe. Okay. I I think the second leg is three nil or more. Hmm. I I feel like it's going to be. A another win for the United States. I think Trinidad when it's still nil nil in the fifteenth, twentieth, thirtieth minute, and then even a man down. I think when they keep it scoreless for so long, there is belief, there is buy-in, there is even if it's not we're going to win this game. It's like we can keep it close and then go back home and see what we can get. I think three nil down. You can't really play that same way. You can still be very defensive and just try to win that fixture and have that be a positive sign. But I think you have to be at least a little bit more adventurous. And I think the United States also has shown a tendency to be better or more consistent in the second game when you have these international breaks and there are two games. So I could see even with some changes, the United States being a little bit sharper and getting a goal in the first 15 minutes. And that effectively killing all momentum of the tie for Trinidad. And then the United States kind of play it out the way we expected it to play out tonight. Uh, I very much hope I am correct in that one. If I am not, I look forward to talking about why why, and what went wrong. Uh, but th- that's my feeling, Joe, is that if the United States plays the same game but plays it a little bit better, I think the results are the same or better. Agreed. Yeah, even with more difficult circumstances yeah. around the game, playing away, playing on a, a probably a worse surface, I think even with those things, I would agree with you. And, and just sort of to tie up my my thoughts on this game, again, this is more about the depth. I think this this match told us more about the U.S.'s depth than it told us about anything else, Baralter, tactics, you know, whatever it is. I think it showed us that the United States is still trying to build players that they can go to in a moment where they need production, they need consistency, when their biggest players are out. And that was probably going to be the case coming in. And I feel more strongly that that's the case now. It's not a huge update, but it is an update after this game. Well, there we are. Mr. Lowry said the United States with a three, no win uh, and an important result because winning this one means we qualify for the Copa America straight up. We don't have to do any weird other permutations we're in. And that's good enough for me. So Joe, I look forward to reviewing the return leg, the away leg. Uh, but I know you and Goss uh, have some work to do before that. Yeah, so we'll do another pregame and postgame show in the BR app for that game on Monday. Honestly, the kickoff time escapes me, but we'll be live an hour before kickoff in the app just as the lineup goes live. We'll talk about the lineup, all the other good stuff in the preview, probably another short look back at this game to inform what the next game could look like. And then we'll be live in the postgame show right after the final whistle. And then you and I... We'll be back Mm -hmm. with a full review in the TSS feed. And we are over an hour. We made it happen, Joe. Who would have thunk? Who would have thunk? Joe Lowry. On brand. On brand. (laughs) Thank you for being on brand with me this morning, because it is now Friday uh, on the East Coast. Congrats, um, first of all. And that's the (laughs) second time I've chanted in a weird way to end a show this week. I think the week needs to be over, Taylor. I think it does. Uh, I'm good with it. I'm good with it. (laughs) Listeners, thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. (laughs) 